Last week, I mentioned how I learned about fish from Mr. Rogers. But I realized Mr. Rogers was on the air for a long time, and I'm sure there's still reruns. His show ran from 1968. They stopped taping in 2001. But I realized there's probably a lot of people here, some of the younger generation, that maybe don't know who Mr. Rogers is and haven't heard about him. So this week, I brought a clip that I'm going to show you. Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Again, the most kindly uh, person ever on TV, probably. And it's one of his songs. And he's uh, talking to, singing to, to children here. And I want to play this for you so you have an idea who Mr. Rogers is. And this also actually really goes along with uh, the message that we have here from this morning. But I need to warn you that what you are about to see from Mr. Rogers is controversial in our world today. But we're going to think about this. Why is this controversial? Is this controversial or is this beautiful? And is this a loving message for children? So here's a clip uh, from uh, Mr. Rogers way back in the 70s. Boys are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl and grow up to be a lady. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be the mommies. Only boys can be the daddies. Yes, sir, everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. So you think about that, and there's two reactions that people can have to that video, that song from Mr. Rogers, uh, which, by the way, he's been singing that song uh, since the beginning every year until his show, they stopped taping in 2001. Uh, the two reactions, some people claim that Mr. Rogers should be canceled, that he is now problematic, as they say, uh, that this is a, a hateful thing for him to be saying, or this reaction that you look at this and you say, that's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thought to help children to find acceptance of their unique bodies that God gave them and that they have. You know, the song goes on to say, I think you're a special person and I like your ins and outsides. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine, your body's fancy and so is mine. It's a beautiful message for kids to hear. I realize in our world today, there's different types of people that might be struggling against this. And on one hand, there are people that are the, the radical activists and they're pushing different messages. And those are some people. And uh, some of those uh, people I have a response to, I have feelings about because of what they are, um, the effect that they're having on people. And there's other people that are struggling, that are hurting, that are, that are confused, uh, of all different ages. And I feel differently for you. I have compassion. I want you to hear this message as one that as we, as we lift up God's plan and design for, for gender, uh, for man and woman, that I pray that you would see this as, as a beautiful thing and that you would find affirmation of your body and that you would realize the deep love that God has for you and how good and beautiful and true his design really is. 
So let's look at Genesis uh, chapter 1 again. We'll read verses just 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We're going to talk about four main points uh, today. The first main point I want to say to you is that God created humans as two genders, male and female. And we see this in this passage. We see this echoed all the way through Scripture. There are males and females, and we see this right away from the beginning. This is how God created humanity. This is not a result of the fall. This is God's intention, his design from the beginning. I am using here the terms gender and sex, and by that I mean the, uh, whether you are male or female. I'm using those, so not the biological act. Uh, I'm using these terms gender and sex interchangeably. And I want to argue against what is the common understanding now, claiming that sex and gender are two different concepts is new and artificial. I think we need to have pushback against this because what is uh, often asserted now is that sex may refer to your biology and so the design of your body or your chromosomes, that might be your your sex, your biological sex, Uh, but what is stated now is that gender is a separate thing and it might be completely disconnected, uh, separate and different from what your biological sex is. And depending which person you ask, it might, they might define uh, gender as if this is your feelings about whether you are male or female, a man or a woman. Uh, sometimes it's said that, well, gender refers to performance or societal roles that you have, but it is a, a different thing than sex. And by stating that these two things are different, it allows them to separate it and claim that there is a mix and a match. Again, I want to claim that these two things are uh, sex and gender are not two separate things, but they are actually uh, basically used of the same thing. That creating an artificial difference between the two is basically creating a difference between, let's say, age and oldness. And saying, well, you can be one uh, age, but your oldness might be completely different. Now, of course, there are days where I feel young, but that doesn't mean that I can enroll in kindergarten. And there are days when I get up and I feel, or at the end of the day, I feel old, but that doesn't mean that I can start collecting Social Security. There is something objective about how old that I, I actually am. And just to try and claim that there's, these are two different things and they could be uh, mixed, that would be artificial and that would be separate. I think we know that these are uh, basically the same thing from common usage. I mean, people even still talk about having a gender reveal party. And what they mean by that is they're going to get their friends together and have, you know, cut the cake. And if it's um, blue, it means, guess what, we're having a baby boy. And if it's pink, we're going to have a baby girl. And this is not about we're going to reveal, the, you know, the feelings of our baby or the cultural expectations. It's, it's synonymous with the you know, biology. Is this going to be a boy or is this going to be a girl? Also, I want to point to even dictionary definitions. And now there's things that are changing, but I looked at a, uh, my dictionary that I had as a kid, okay, and looked this up. This is a picture of it. I had it for a long time. 
I think it's uh, copyright this one back in the, the 70s. I would suggest, and I've said this before, hang on to your paper dictionaries because if you just get everything, your, your definitions from Googling it or online, people can change and they do change those definitions. And so it is good to be able to look back and see, no, this used to mean something else. And oftentimes people are changing meanings of words for specific, reason, specific reasons because they realize if you change the, the words, you can control the outcome of the entire debate. But I looked this up and uh, see what, I wonder, you know, at least uh, not too long ago, what did the dictionary say? And I guess it's the Merriam-Webster dictionary. So look up sex, first definition, either of two divisions of organisms distinguished respectively as male and female. And I'll talk about the qualities by which these sexes are differentiated and which directly or indirectly uh, function in biparental reproduction. So having to do with you got two parents, they reproduce. Uh, so this is the first definition and then the second is the actual sex act that's talking about uh, the for sexual reproduction. So I thought, oh, okay, this is, seems to be pretty straightforward. Uh, it refers to being you know, male or female and something biological. But what about gender? What does gender refer to? Is it going to say that it refers to this is your inner feelings about yourself? Is this about uh, performance, cultural roles? And so I looked at it. Get ready. Gender. Sex. <laughs> According to the dictionary, it viewed sex and gender as basically the same thing. And in trying to state these as two different things, it's common today, and a lot of times it will be just taught as this is established, it's always been this fact that sex and gender are two different things. This is not how it always was. Uh, these were viewed as um, basically the, the same thing. Also, as far as the etymology of the word, it's like where words come from. See, the next one is gene. But here's the thing, in the word gender, it traces back to the, the root word of gen or gene. And we get the other words from this, such as uh, generate, meaning to produce, to beget. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary of English Etymology gives related words, uh, again, gender, gene, genealogy, generate, genesis, genetic, genital. Notice all of these things have to do with procreation, the creating of, of new life, bringing forth uh, children through a man and a woman coming together. So I think just one of the things we, I think, need to push back on this common, this understanding that these are two separate things that view hasn't always been so. But even more important, we see that uh, we see this in the book of Genesis, creating male and female. Also, this is something that Jesus affirmed. Uh, Jesus affirmed that, that God created humans as these two different genders. And we'll look once again, just remind yourself what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus affirms this, he echoes this, the two coming together in this uh, sexual union that they have. So in a sense, becoming one joined together, but it's a man and a woman uh, coming together. 
I think other things, just simple observations that we can make from God creating the male and female is, is, and this is something to think about. And maybe you can keep asking yourself, what is the answer to this question? Why are there two and not just one? Why didn't God create just one gender? Why are there two different? Why is it male and female? But we see that there are two, not just one. But realize, from uh, many perspectives, what, you know, why don't we just clone? You know, amoebas just split in half. I think so many, you know, these small organisms, they just, they divide in half. They make an exact copy of themselves. And we think, realize God could have created humanity, so that's how we reproduce. You know, at a certain point, you get kind of big, you've eaten too much, and just no problem, you split in half, and now there's two of you. Uh, that seems weird, but God could have done it that way or cause us so that we could reproduce with, without somebody else. God could have figured that out. Realize from an evolutionary perspective, actually no one really knows why we have two sexes or why we reproduce sexually. It's kind of a problem because this would have been harder to do. It doesn't make a lot of evolutionary sense. Uh, there would have been a lot of changes need to go from asexual reproduction to now needing two. How do you, how do you make that jump? In a non-Christian book, science writer Marcus Chown writes this. He says, nobody knows why we have two sexes, or for that matter, why we have sex. In evolutionary terms, the name of the game is to get your genes into the next generation. Not some of your genes, but all of them. The sensible thing would be for you to clone yourself since this ensures the transference of 100% of your genes to any offspring. So asexual reproduction is, in fact, what uh, most creatures on Earth practice, thinking of the small organisms. Organisms that have sex, on the other hand, only pass on 50% of their genes to the next generation. You know, half from you, or half from the, the man, half from the, half from the male, half from the female. This means not only that they must give birth to twice as many offspring to achieve the same as asexual organisms, but they must spend extra energy finding a partner as well. Sex appears to make no sense at all, unquote. So there are <laughs> difficulties with it. But let's think about this theologically. You know, from God, why did he create more than one gender? And I'm not going to wrap this up in a nice little bow for you. Maybe as we keep going, we'll think of other reasons. And I think there's probably design reasons, but also I think theological reasons. Things that God was planning for this story of creation in this world that was going to, uh, he knew that was going to unfold from beginning to end. You know, two can be complementary to each other in a way that is different than just two that are identical to each other. If you just have a, a mirror image or a copy, uh, you lose the fact of having you know, someone else that is like you but also other than you in some ways. And being able to relate to someone that has uh, different strengths, uh, different abilities, able to fill in for some of your weaknesses and your strengths are able to fill in for some of their weaknesses as well. To come together like, like two puzzle pieces that are not identical but designed for each other. Men and women bring different strengths into this world. And two can be in, like in a relationship in a way that, again, that uh, the identical ones cannot. 
And I think we'll see too, especially as we keep going, that males and females, in a sense, picture the story of God in this world in a unique way. And could that be part of the reason why God did this? And he set up a world in which we have not just, you know, generic humans, but we have males and we have females, we have men and that we have women. But scripture teaches, and we know from biology, we have, uh, we have two, not just one. And I also want to claim here that uh, there are two and not more than two. You really have to read thoughts into the Bible to see more than two genders. Uh, it states here that there's male and, and female, and um, some people want to uh, assert that there are more genders, and you can see them in Scripture, but honestly, you have to really be taking your thoughts and, and cramming them into the text in order to even come close to seeing something that could be possible like that. And one example I want to say is that no eunuchs are not a third gender. That's one of the, the claims that are made, and maybe something that you hear, that it talks in Scripture about eunuchs. It says, well, there's males and females, but they're eunuchs, and they're an example of a third gender. A eunuch was uh, someone, they were men, usually foreign slaves, uh, that had been usually forcibly castrated. And oftentimes, they, their master would do this so that they didn't have to worry about the servant being around the ladies or uh, their sexual activity. In fact, in Esther chapter 2, it refers to the eunuch that was in charge of the women. And you can see, okay, I could see why they would, would do that and put someone like that in charge of the women. Uh, but one thing that is said, if you, we mentioned Matthew 19. If you go on, he's talking about divorce and he's talking about marriage and he's saying that God joined together, should stay together, uh, that except for uh, certain uh, reasons of adultery that you, you, you need to stay together. And, well, just let me read to you, Matthew 19, starting verse 10. The disciples said to him, you know, if such is the case of a man and his wife, because some thought, well, you should be able to divorce for just any reason at all. The disciples said to him, if such is the case for a man in, with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, quote, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. And let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. So he talks about kind of three different types of eunuchs. So the one that's a eunuch, made a eunuch by others, oh, that's, I think, obvious. To, we can see who that is. That's your standard slave or servant that had been uh, forcibly made a eunuch by his master uh, for specific purposes. He also talks about eunuchs from birth. And this is where some people point to this and say, well, see, this is talking about uh, a, a third sex or, or more different genders here. This would be referring to people who have birth defects, who, for whatever reason, uh, defects involving their genitals and were not formed in the right way and, and able to, um, to reproduce. There's nothing in this that indicates that they were a different gender. You have to be reading into this, and I think in a way that a lot of people that, um, uh, if they had a condition, would be offended by this, saying that you're not a male or a female, but you're just a complete another gender. And to read modern thoughts into this uh, would be reading into the passage what's not there. And when Jesus talked about those that made themselves eunuchs, 
we realized he was talking metaphorically here for people that uh, chose to abstain from marriage and therefore from sexual relations uh, for specific reasons. He said for the kingdom of God, maybe to serve the Lord in a special way, and therefore they uh, decided not to, to marry. Uh, it's not referring to, in, in this sense, any type of physical um, thing that they would do to themselves. In fact, if you look in the Old uh, Testament, you would see from places like Leviticus 21.20 uh, that to, um, to, to, to do that to yourself on purpose would have been something that no Hebrew would have uh, condoned at all to, to, to make yourself a, a literal eunuch. So we have two, not more. We'll unpack this a little bit more as we get into some of the other points in this message as well. One application I want to get to before we move on is to realize God created male and female. Again, this was before the fall. This was before sin entered the world. So I think one of the beautiful things that we can proclaim from this is that God created both men and women on purpose. And that women are not defective men. Okay? And sometimes in the ancient world, there were philosophers that taught that. They really believed that it was good to be a man, and if you were a woman, that somehow it was some kind of defect. And that the good thing for you was to see if you could, you know, get the gods to convert you, and there are stories in the ancient world to, to become a man. And that's what you really you should aspire to, uh, because a woman is basically a defective man. But God created men and women, males and females, before the fall, before sin messed up anything in this world. And so both men and women, this is, they're created in the image of God. This is how God, what he intended from the beginning. And women are not defective men. Girls are not defective boys. And therefore, to be a woman, to be a girl, is okay. There are, like I said, pagan philosophers that taught this in ancient times. And I think, too, that there are some feminists that seem to be unaware that this is what they actually think as well. I think they wouldn't realize it, they wouldn't claim it, but oftentimes what comes across is that to be fulfilled as a human is to be more like a man. And therefore a woman needs to take on more masculine things and to do the things that men do and the roles that they have. And sometimes there are things like that that are fine because sometimes there are cultural expectations and there are uh, stereotypes that are not biblical. But oftentimes, I think there are so many uh, you know, feminists that seem to think that still the man is the ideal and the goal of feminism is to have women become more like men. Where scripturally, we can see God created men and women and each have their strengths, each have their beauty, each have their value. And it is good and okay to be a man, to be a woman. Both of these are according to God's design. Also, being male or female is grounded in the biological realities of the human body down to the chromosomes. This is something we can remind ourselves of. We need to uh, remind ourselves that this is not a matter of feeling. This is not a matter of uh, personal preference, there is biological realities grounding being male or being, being female. Um, and the views of radical activists are being absorbed by so many in culture, saying that gender is all cultural, 
One very famous uh, feminist uh, decades ago wrote, one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. Again, having the separate idea that it's not a basis of your, how you're born or reality, but it's what society forces upon you, is what uh, this person was trying to get across. I think many of you, what we see now is uh, even what's claimed about sex and gender is constantly changing even by those that are the activists pushing these things, and even their definitions don't remain stable. Because at one time, some would say, well, sex refers to biology, and gender refers to your feelings, your cultural expression, but others, if you look, they'll say sometimes that, that sex also is something that uh, can change, that is not rooted in biology. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, you know, sex assigned at birth. And the reason that's getting used so often is to say, well, you were assigned this by a doctor and he was just making his best guess. He or she was making his best guess as what you are, but, but who really knows? It would be like someone looking at the color of the wall and saying, is that yellow, is it cream, is it white? And people can have different opinions and it's subjective. But in reality, it is uh, something that is not just a matter of feeling, it, that is something that only you could know, but it is something that is hardwired into our bodies. It goes even deeper than just secondary sexual characteristics, the things we can see, you know, having a beard or a, a deep voice or something like that. Uh, it even goes deeper than just the reproductive organs. It is hardwired into our DNA, into our chromosomes. So let's review basic biology here for, uh, for a few minutes. Normally, each human being has 23 pair of chromosomes. And these are uh, bundles of DNA. That's the blueprint that makes us up. And so we have uh, 23, they're pairs, so 46 total in each cell. Each cell contains these. And these are the blueprints that make you. And there are two of these chromosomes, so one pair uh, that are our sex chromosomes. And these determine if the body is going to develop as male or female. And these are referred to, there's the X chromosome and the Y chromosome. They're not named that because of how they look, but these are the names that are given. And so in reproduction, you know, how it works is you have a mom and she has two X chromosomes, okay? Because you have two and then when reproduction takes place, uh, both the mother and the father will give uh, one of their chromosomes to the offspring. So the mom has two X's, so she's going to be giving an X chromosome. Uh, we know that. Where the dad has, he has an X chromosome, but he also has a Y chromosome. So this means that when they come together in the sexual union, and uh, one comes from mom and one comes from the dad, and you can't plan which is going to be, okay, there's no button you can press, you can't decide, you know, it's up to, to God what, what happens here. Uh, but it means they're going to get some combination. So they're always going to get an X chromosome from mom because she has two. So either way, she's given an X chromosome. So that means if it gets X from mom and then the X from dad, this is going to be a girl. On the other hand, if a mom gives an X chromosome, either one, it doesn't matter, and dad ends up giving the Y chromosome, then this is going to be a baby boy. And so, as William Larson says in his book on human embryology, the presence of a Y chromosome determines maleness and its absence determines femaleness. So it's basically the, the presence or absence of a functional Y chromosome 
uh, that is, determines this. It is a binary of if you are a man or a woman. And sometimes people view, you hear people talking about uh, the sexual binary. Is this good? Is it a bad thing? Uh, but I want to argue that it actually literally is a binary. Talk about binary with computer language. Uh, that's because ultimately computer code, it's either a one or a zero. It's either on or off, and there really is no in-between. And so you either have a functional Y chromosome or, or you don't have that. And if you have it, you're a male. If you don't have that, then you end up that you're a female. So the way that I kind of say it is uh, to remember if you have a Y, you're a guy. Okay, that's how it works. Um, and with this, then the body develops and bodies are structured either to produce ova or sperm. I know we're getting into some birds and bees stuff here, but I think we need to because uh, this is the, the root of our biology and the function. Uh, bodies can be structured either one or the other. So, the presence or absence of functioning Y chromosome is what is uh, decisive here. I want to point out that the ideas of transgender and intersex are not the same thing. There are uh, different views, uh, there are different concepts, although oftentimes these are presented as the same thing. And people give examples of either intersex or things that they say that are intersex, but those people that's, that have that condition would say, that's not really intersex, you're using us for your... Uh, what you're trying to promote here, to say that, to try and claim that there are more genders, that it's this whole, this whole huge spectrum of uh, possibilities. The vast majority of people that identify as transgender, there's actually nothing in their biology that is unclear about them being either male or female. But in about one in 5,000 births, there is what is referred to as a disorder of sexual development. And according to a consensus statements by the Intersex Association of North America, disorders of sexual development do not constitute a third sex. As Ryan Anderson states, quote, after all, biological sex is grounded in the organism's organization for reproduction. There is no third gonad with Disorders of sexual development, what can develop are dysfunctional ovaries and testes, one or the other, but there's not a third thing. We'll unpack this in a little bit, but bodies are structured to produce either ova or sperm. There's no third option, no third, to use technical term, gamete that is out there. That would be what would be if there was an actual uh, extra uh, gender, an extra sex. I mean, do we need to clarify? When we talk about, um, you know, if you have two X chromosomes, you are a woman. If you have an X and a Y chromosome, uh, you are a man. But there are men and there are women that uh, do not have the, the typical combination of those chromosomes. And so uh, there are men with uh, Klinefelter's syndrome, and they have an extra X chromosome, but they also still have a Y chromosome. So, I mean, we live now on the other side of Genesis 3 in the fall and things don't always go the way that it would have uh, before. And so there are some of these things that are uh, not what would have been normal, 
but these men with Klinefeldel syndrome, they are still men. They have a Y chromosome and they view themselves and they're just, we are, they're men. In the same way, women with Turner's syndrome have just one X chromosome, but they don't have a Y. And they are very clearly women. There are other real but uh, rare cases where I think we do need to be even be more specific as far as the, the Y chromosome. Um, and some of these are, are very, um, like I said, real but rare. Uh, but for the body to develop as a male, it requires specifically the presence of the SRY gene, which is part of the Y chromosome. You need that. And uh, usually found in the Y chromosome and functional androgen receptors. So if we want to be very technical, uh, that is what's required. But still, there's a biological uh, reality for this. It is rooted in biology. And we do live in a fallen world. And sometimes there are difficult cases. But another way to look at it, like we said, is that uh, there are bodies that are structured to produce ova or eggs. And these are females. And there are bodies that are structured to produce sperm. Uh, these, are, these are males. And again, there's no third gamete. Not everyone is actively able to produce one or the other. Okay, maybe because of age, maybe it's before that time period or after that time period where they would be actively doing this, but their body is still structured to be able to do this. Or maybe there's something that's preventing that from ever happening, but their body is still structured to produce one or the other. In her book, The Genesis of Gender, Abigail Favelli writes, statistically speaking, sex is readily recognizable at birth for 99.98 of human beings. So it means that mom and dad, when they saw the baby born, when the doctors see it, that almost every time there's not really any ambiguity about this. That leaves about two out of 10,000 times where there is something that develops where there is some question. But even where it is less obvious, it can usually be, t be determined once the underlying cause for the ambiguity is determined. And again, for the vast majority of people who view themselves as transgender, there is no biological reason for them to feel this way. It's based on subjective feelings, not anything objective or scientific. Let me just say, before we go on, that if this is something that you're wrestling with, that what I hope that you can do is, is to realize that, um, that you have been created by God with a body that is structured in a certain way. And instead of having to, uh, what you're being told is to look inside, look at your feelings to determine these things, or to look at culture and what they think. There are objective things that you can look to and you can find this rootedness for your identity in something that is unchanging. Uh, something that, that is solid, that is, that is objective. And it's a different way of looking at this. And I, I commend this to you, and I think it's right, and I think it's what is uh, going to be most helpful for you. A gender is not a matter of feeling or something just the cultural, not just a construct. And also we need to realize that appearances can be changed, but actual sex cannot that someone can try to change their appearance to a degree. There's certain things that cannot be completely reproduced. There could be surgeries that can be had, uh, but it doesn't actually change someone's actual biological sex. 
Uh, no one can change our chromosomes. They're in every cell in our body, and they either have a, the Y chromosome or they don't. Uh, the DNA evidence, uh, if, a, if there was a crime and you need to look at it, it's going to remain the same uh, no matter uh, how somebody feels or um, no matter what surgeries have. They also can't reorder the body, even with surgeries, even with our technology, uh, to have someone produce children as the opposite sex. And there's a story about Enar Winger. In 1930, this Danish artist named Enar Winger was one of the first people to have what's uh, commonly referred to now as sex reassignment surgery or um, gender confirmation surgery to those that believe that feelings are more real than the physical body. And um, Winger was uh, transfixed with the idea that uh, to become a complete woman. And for uh, him, he believed this also carried, uh, had to include the ability to carry and bear children. So it was not just a matter of, of passing as the, uh, or appearing to be a woman. He wanted a, he wanted a true sex change and to be able to um, procreate uh, with the potentiality of a female. As part of this transformation that was sought, when he parted with his wife, legally changed his name to uh, Lily Elby, uh, took a male lover, lover in the hopes that once uh, the transformation was complete, we would be able to um, you know, bear the child of this, of this man and had four invasive surgeries in less than a period of two years. And I won't go into the details of these about uh, especially the things that were removed or things that were done. But in part of this, um, he had an ovum transplanted into his abdomen. And his final surgery, among other things, involved uh, having a uterus transplanted uh, into him. And so tragically but predictably, um, his immune system rejected this, uh, this uterus the whole thing didn't work, and, and tragically, uh, LB died in 1931, three months after his last surgery. He was 48 years old. This is an example of someone early on uh, with this, um, this hope, this kind of mirage in front of him that uh, modern medicine would be able to deliver on this promise that he could uh, change to be what he wanted to be, what he saw himself as. And there were certain cosmetic things on the outside that could be done and things that people do to themselves uh, today. Um, but it can't change DNA. It can't give this person the ability to, to be a woman in, in that depth in order to um, have a, a functioning uterus and be able to, to bear a man's children. Next thing. In, from Genesis, notice in verse 28 what it says. And I think this reminds us too that along with what we've said here, that God created humans as male and females with the design to come together to produce new human life. And that whether uh, each human being actually does have children or does actually procreate, uh, that this design for males and females to come together in the sexual union is designed for them to bring new life upon the earth. Uh, you can't separate this out from uh, God's function for them. So again, Genesis 1:28, and God blessed them and God said to them, 
the first recorded words of God to humanity, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And he tells them to do this, to bring forth children, uh, to, to, to figure this out, uh, come together and to do what they have been designed to do. So men and women, they're distinct and they are designed for each other. And at the core of this uh, distinction is the unique way that they are each designed and ordered in their, the structure of their body as in everything uh, to bring new people into this world or to make babies, to raise families, again, to be fruitful and multiply. God commanded Adam and Eve here to be fruitful and multiply. And this, again, was before the fall. This is before sin came into this world. This is before uh, the world is broken and fractured by sin. So sexual relations are part of God's good design. This is not part of the fall. Healthy sexual relations between a, a husband and wife that are married to each other, these are good and beautiful things. Uh, we see so many distortions of this in the world today. That's the problem. So we can't disconnect the idea of genders from God's mandate to procreate. Again, this doesn't mean that everyone uh, in God's plan is called to, to do this or will do this, but it does mean that the structure of the human body, uh, whether in God's plan for you that happens or not, uh, that's part of the reason why there are men and there are women because our bodies are structured with uh, the things that are uh, needed to, uh, to do that. In modern society, on the other hand, has disconnected the activity of sex from the, the mission of reproduction. This also makes it easy to disconnect sexual genders from anything having to do with our design for reproduction. And thus, it isn't in our biology. Many people think it's in our feelings or society or it's something that is just chosen. Another thing we can realize from this is that men and women are each incomplete in themselves to the tasks that God gave them. If God had just said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply, he couldn't have done it. He didn't have everything that was required to do this. He, he had his reproductive system, but he was not a complete reproductive unit. In the same way, uh, Eve on her own, if it was just her, she couldn't have done this. They each had a, uh, their reproductive capabilities that were incomplete on their own and that they had to come together as husband and wife in the, the act of the husband and wife in order to become a reproductive unit and to have the children. This also means that there's a real aspect that men and women are defined in relation to each other. I think sexually, that's part of it. But I think it goes beyond that. There's other things in our wiring and who we are. Uh, that a man compliments a woman and a woman compliments a man. I don't mean compliment like, uh, like that's a lovely dress you have on. Uh, but a compliment means to complete. That you're not the same, but you complete the other one. And we each do that for each other. So a man is he who compliments a woman and a woman is he who compliments a man as we come together. Again, it's two, like two puzzle pieces that are not the same, but they're meant for each other. And the complementary differences and strengths between men and women do not stop at childbirth. It's not just a matter of, well, this is needed to get the kid into this world, and after that, moms and dads are exactly the same. 
And there are unique strengths uh, that both the mom and the dad bring into raising children. And so those of you moms and dads that have adopted uh, children, you still realize that, that uh, there are unique strengths and weaknesses that dad has. There are unique strengths and also uh, weaknesses that mom has. And it's good to have both of these together because uh, we're not the same. We do carry different strengths. It doesn't mean that it's radically different, that everything about a man is absolutely different than everything about a woman. You can take that too far, but I think there are strengths in how we are wired. Both are important, both are needed. They're not completely interchangeable and either independent of each other. And one last thing as far as this God's command to bring children into the world. Um, and next week we'll be talking more about uh, God's mandate for creation. But just one thing to realize is this means God is telling them to bring forth children, be fruitful, multiply. God is pro-children, okay? Humans are not a blight upon this earth, okay? Humans are not a blight upon this earth. The earth is meant for footprints, not long ago, in the New York Times, on their website, in the main page, there was an article about a man named Les Knight of what was called the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. And according to this movement, I found their website, and their goal is, quote, phasing out the human species by voluntarily ceasing to breed will allow Earth's biosphere to return to good health. Crowded conditions and resource shortages will improve as we become less dense. And so the view really is for some voluntary extinction. It says we're not going to kill people, just don't have kids, and then we'll die out and nature can take over again. That is not the view of Scripture. Yeah, we need to be good stewards, we understand that, but this world is meant for footprints. And then finally... If we look at this, God created men and women, created them in his image. And I just want you to hear this. Being a male is good. Being a female is good. These are both good things. And it's not that one is, is really good and the other is okay. These are both good things. And God, in his sovereignty, in his plan, made you one or the other. And he did that on purpose. He did that with design. He did that with foresight. And it is a beautiful thing. It is very good that we don't just have all men or we don't just have all women. And whoever God in his sovereignty made you to be is a good thing. And I hope that you can learn to treasure that. I hope that you can learn to embrace that and realize that God did not make a mistake. He did not put you in the wrong body. That's not even how it works. God made you with the body that you have. And this is part of his, his sovereign design for you. And I hope that you'll be able to accept, find acceptance and embrace and value your created body as part of who you are. Remember, both males and females are created in the image of God. Uh, they're both good things. We're not identical in everything, but we're all identical in dignity and value and worth because of that. That your gendered body is part of God's sovereign plan for you. Um, God's the one that ultimately defines our identities. <laughs> it's a good thing that it is him. And again, there's stereotypes in this world and things that sometimes people say that this is what a man is really like and this is what a woman is really like. And some of those things are wrong. And it doesn't mean that you have to fit into every stereotype. 
And if you are a guy that doesn't fit into all the stereotypes, that doesn't mean that you are less of an actual guy. And if you're a woman that doesn't fit into all of the stereotypes, that doesn't mean that you're less of a woman. That's okay. That there are different varieties of real females. There are different varieties of real men. And that, that is okay. And the people that push some of the transgender ideology today, we have to realize that a lot of it is being pushed. It's very new. It's constantly changing unscientific, contradictory, and harmful. I mean, we live in a culture today in which there are adults and professionals that are encouraging children to be insecure about their bodies. But that's what's happening. Is that love? To teach children, to give them the idea that they should feel like aliens in their own bodies? Encouraging people, some of children, to mutilate healthy bodies? This is not acceptance. That's not real tolerance. That is not real love. And for the adults that are pushing this, the activists, sometimes even parents that want to feel progressive, that is not a good thing. But if you struggle with gender identity, I want you to know, I want you to hear, I want you to feel that God loves you. That whatever struggles will you have, that whatever feelings of incongruity you have, God loves you. And I think love does not mean encouraging you to hate your body. I'm not going to affirm your self-hatred for yourself, but I will encourage you to find acceptance of your physical body and to embrace the biological gender of the body that God created you with. So find body acceptance by looking to the good God who made you. He is bigger and he is more real than your feelings. And he is the one that can repair the disconnect that you may be feeling in one way or another. You know, this world is broken because of sin, but Jesus Christ came into this world. He became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in order to bring not just forgiveness, which we all need. And I pray that you would turn to him, Lord Jesus Christ, for your forgiveness. That's the only way to be forgiven. But the Bible also talks about reconciliation, being brought back together. And that means there's reconciliation first and foremost with you and the Lord, that separation, but also to reconcile you uh, with how you feel about yourself as well. And so if you feel that you are disconnected with your inner feelings, with your physical body, this reconciliation is something that Jesus came to help with, part of the healing that he has for you. Jesus can reconcile you to God and he can reconcile you to your own body. Let me conclude just by telling you, everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's special, so is mine. Let's pray. God, we give you praise and thanks. You are a good designer and a creator. And Lord, even though we live in a world that is broken and there's so much hurt, Lord, and sometimes confusion, thank you that you are there and you are faithful and that you love each one so much, no matter what we're going through. And Lord, help each of us to find our identity in you, Lord, to uh, find our reality in you. You are so much more real than our feelings. You are so much more stable than the society that we find ourselves in. And you bring healing and you bring wholeness and reconciliation. Lord, I pray that you give that to all of us and especially to anyone that is hurting. May you be at work. We trust in you and love you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.